Welcome back to Inside the Hive. I'm Emily Jane Fox. I'm here with my co-host, Joe Hagan, who is wearing swim trunks. I'm wearing swim trunks. They just came in the mail before we got on this podcast, and you know, you opened it up. You're like, let me try them on. Oh, yeah, I got to go do a podcast. This is modern life, right? You get your package. Well, I'm still in... I'm still in pajamas, so that is modern, my modern life. I think we're exhibiting just how it is. But anyway, yeah, it was a in an act of optimism, um, I said, I'm going to get some swim trunks for the first moment where I'm allowed to dive into some body of water and declare it summer. So I'm a little ahead of the curve. Well, they're not just your average swim trunks. They're specific. You want to explain yourself? They have alligators on them. Well, they're a, they're a throwback. They're a throwback. Yeah, 80s retro. Lacoste. I love it. I also think it leads us into a little bit about what we're going to talk about today, which in some ways is alligators? all- Alligators? Not alligators. Actually, we don't get into alligators, weirdly. But we do talk about <laughs> nostalgia a lot. And mm-hmm. yeah. I had a great interview with Paris Hilton. I'm sure you've heard the name before. I It's ringing a bell. And you know, it's interesting- I was trying to think when you mentioned Paris Hilton to me the first time, I began to go through my memory banks and try to remember. And wow, there was more in there than I even would have suspected. Um, She had the reality TV show, of course. Simple Life. Simple Life, which I remember watching the first episode of when it came on primetime. And there was a a seamy video that circulated Mm -hmm. that was also in there in my memory banks Mm -hmm. trying to block it out. But Mm -hmm. uh, there it was anyway. Um, and then, of course, there was a famous profile of her mm-hmm. by our mutual friend and colleague, Vanessa. Mm-hmm. And it really sort of uh, showed her in her club milieu back in the, the early aughts, right? How would I describe it? I guess it was, uh, there were, it was ironic. There was mm-hmm. a lot of ironic observation. I haven't read that. I, I, it's so funny. I haven't read that probably since it came out. I should go back and reread it because... We talked about this so much in our interview, and the interview was part of uh, a three-day Vanity Fair event, Cocktail Hour Live, which was awesome. And Mm -hmm. I don't know if there's a way to tune in after the fact. Uh, If there is, you can check Vanity Fair's website. If there's not, you should definitely come to the next one because these things are actually very good, and they have interviews like the one we're about to listen to. We're lucky enough to just crib the video for our audio here, and our great producer, Brett, is making that happen. But I think... So much of the way we've talked about female celebrity in the past is totally unacceptable today. And obviously hindsight is 2020. And so much has changed in what is appropriate and and what is inappropriate. But I think, I don't know if you watched the Britney Spears documentary, Joe, did you watch it? I have not, but a lot of people have been encouraging me to do so. So it's on my queue. It's short and uh, it's juicy. And and obviously what is happening to Brittany is terrible. And I hope that the legal situation gets sorted out. But the thing that jumped out to me and to many people who watch it, and you will see this when you watch it, is how wild it was that the media talked to and about Britney Spears that way, asking her mm-hmm. uh, if she's a virgin and do we be- are we supposed to believe that she's a virgin when none of these questions were asked of her famous boyfriends at the time and asking her to explain her sexuality and her physical appearance and, and things that are really uncomfortable. And and as that documentary sort of made waves, a lot of old interviews with other female celebrities from the same time were circulating. You know, we saw one with 
uh, Lindsay Lohan and David Letterman and Paris Hilton and David Letterman, a, a number of other talk show hosts who had these young women on. And the way that they talked would just, it would not fly today. And, and it shows you how quickly progress can be made. And that's a hopeful thing. And obviously we still have so much more to do. And I asked Paris all about this. And mm. the thing about Paris is the knock about her for so long was that she was famous for being famous. She had no talent, that she had no particular skill. And that was the narrative around her. What I will say is that Paris has endured in the pop culture lexicon in the actual, you know, state of relevancy way longer than most of the pop stars who had songs at the top of the charts or movies at the top of the box office. She has endured. And I think that that is a talent. And I don't think that that's an accident. And we talked all about that too. We talked all about the sex tape and about what it is like to have your most intimate moment made a punchline uh, by something that was, you know, taken from you and sold for a lot of money that you did not participate in. And uh, we talked all about nostalgia culture and how everyone is basically obsessed with the late 90s, early 2000s now and all the things that she made popular. Uh, we talked about NFTs because Paris is, is doing her NFTs. It was a really, you know, we, we went all over the place and she is very much herself and the Paris that you know, but also uh, it's definitely a different side of her too. So I can't wait for you to hear it. It's super fun, but I have a couple of things I need to just get off my chest before. Can we just talk for a second? Yes, let's, uh, let's get into it. Okay, I thought of I'm you. I'm your confessional. I thought of you this weekend. I thought of this podcast this weekend because our power went out on Thursday and did not come back until Sunday. Whoa. Yikes. In yeah. COVID times, anytime that's not great. In COVID times, that's especially not great. Well, let me tell you how this happened. A car, I think this is what happened. A car going 25 miles an hour hit a power pole that then took down another power pole. And it knocked out power for 3,000 people for nearly four days. Whoa. That's psycho. That's crazy. What happened was, I mean, they must have been the most important power poles in America. And they created a ton of damage underground from these power poles that were above ground that they had then just had to keep digging and digging and basically uh, replace the entire system. So the first night we slept at a hotel with two dogs and two and a half people in a queen size bed and the dogs are not happy about being in a hotel. It was, I slept for two hours. Don't recommend. My dear friend, Sophia, who's an angel and a listener, saved us and let us stay at her house for the rest of the time, which was incredible. But we felt very nomadic. And it's one thing to stay with your friend when you're excited about having a weekend away. It's another thing when you're forced to and you don't know when you're going to be able to go back home and all the other things and you've COVID concerns, you can't leave the hotel room, blah, blah, blah. So my thought about this podcast and about you, Joe, as I was an angry nomad, was that this is why the infrastructure bill is so necessary. Mm. 
We should not have a power system that is above ground and so complicated that it takes nearly four days to get 3,000 people back online during a pandemic. Well, and that like Mr. Bean can be driving his car down the street and like uh, banging into your pole. It's like a comedy that the entire, you know, chunk of the city loses power. It was power. crazy. It was, it was Beverly Hills, Laurel Canyon, Mount Olympus. Like it, it spanned a long swath of Los Angeles and there was no, on Thursday, they were saying it's going to be back on Thursday night. And so we were like, do we even leave? And then- we just we just left. And then Friday morning we woke up or I slept for two hours and was up and I bounded out of the hotel and I was like, it's going to be back. And then by Friday afternoon, they just stopped giving us estimates about when it was going to come back on, which is not a good sign. I threw out eight trash bags from our refrigerator and freezers. Mm, I was thinking about that as not, you said this. Not great. Obviously, we are so fortunate and we will restock everything. And it was so much of it too, was like all the stuff we had stocked up on for the pandemic a year, 13 months ago, that all the frozen mm. butternut squash that I will never make and had never made and panic bought. It was like a spring cleaning. It was definitely a version of spring, forced spring cleaning. But, but this ne infrastructure bill is absolutely necessary because this should not happen there will be so many jobs created because I drove past the power people who were working 24 hours a day, incredibly hard, who I'm so grateful for. And just seeing them fix this one pole, there were so many of them. I can't even imagine what it would be like to fix every pole across the country. It really underscored how necessary this is for a million different reasons. So our, our conversations about this infrastructure bill on this podcast really came to life for me. Well, as somebody who lives in a town that's having its entire water system replaced right now, and we had a water main break last week, it's funny you should say that, mm. and didn't have water for two days. No. And so we had to go get water from whoever would give us some water, sure. buy some at the store, but also, you know, just fill up things because it turns out you need it for everything, of course. But it made me appreciate also, because this has been going on for a month, I've gotten to know all the construction guys who are involved in our entire town. And uh, in a way, just having uh, workers out on the road that you get to know rebuilding your infrastructure, I don't know, it feels good. Gives you a sense of optimism. You know, you think, oh, we're building something together here. We're going to have a new thing. They're gonna, they appreciate that they're putting their kind of uh, blood, sweat, and tears into this project. And we appreciate that the outcome will be we're going to have utilities. Great for everybody. And I saw some numbers yesterday that I will never be able to find because they're deep in my Twitter feed somewhere. But I saw some numbers yesterday about how popular the infrastructure bill is and infrastructure conceptually is, um, certainly among Democrats and even among Republicans, and uh, that, that corporate tax rates seem to be particularly popular as a way to get there. Yeah. I read the other day that the Republicans are trying to come up with some counter infrastructure proposal, and we'll see where the dance leads us. Meanwhile, as soon as I step off of this podcast, it's almost like it's a spaceship, right? Um, I'm heading off to uh, the public works of getting my second vaccine shot. Yay! So, yes. Next time you hear my voice, it will be that of not of Clark Kent, but of Superman, right? I'm going to be super powered 
to go out into the world again in a real way. So I'm excited. I will say you, you will know, within feel, reason. You will feel kind of superhero when you do get this vaccine. It really does. You have such a sense of optimism and like a, sh- a little bit of a shield. Speaking of vaccine, it brings me to the last thing I want to talk about before we get into this interview. I don't know. I'm sure you missed it. I did not. Ivanka Trump posted a selfie yesterday of her getting the vaccine. And <laughs> she posted a, a selfie. She's wearing a plain white t-shirt and jeans, like the simple woman that she is, and a few, mm-hmm. you know, colorful country girl. Bracelet, bracelets. I th- also think I happened to spot a... I'm not going to ID it because I can't see for sure. I think I can ID a, a fancier bracelet on her wrist, but I'm, I can't see the whole thing, so I'm not going to bracelet shame her. She posted this picture. It's a, it's a carousel, so the two pictures. One, she's getting the jab. The next, she seems to be laughing with the nurse who has just given her the jab. And she says, today I got the shot, three exclamation points. I hope that you do too, exclamation point. Thank you, Nurse Nurse Torres, three exclamation points with a blue emoji heart. Mm. So in my mind, in my understanding of how Ivanka Land works, she's probably agonized about the exact composition of the shot, about what she was going mm-hmm. to wear I'm in looking this at it now, shot, yeah. about the caption, mm-hmm. Should my hair be down? Should it be in a ponytail? Should I wear the jeans or should I wear a skirt? Mm-hmm. You know, it's- it, You got to get has, styled for your vaccine. She's not posted since January 19th. And I don't think it is a casual thing for her to make her reemergence. And, you know, she had basically spent the last five years in a pencil skirt in Washington by her father's side. So that she is reemerging as this, down-to-earth woman in jeans with her hair down, undone, getting the shot and urging people to get the shot, which is something her father has really struggled to do publicly. It's it's definitely a, everything about this has been a choice. Yeah. And then the post gets 29,000 comments, okay? Yeah. I'm going to read you the gist of most of these comments. No thanks. With a 99% survival rate, I shall pass. With Bill Gates involved, I will not get one. Nope, Mm -hmm. not putting that in my body. Hard no. Nope, not doing it. Pass. No thanks. I hope you support freedom of choice for vaccines. I was hoping you were above this kind of virtue signaling. Ivanka, no, just no. Hell no. Why would you post this? No thank you. I have an immune system for a reason. For a virus that has 99% survival rate, no thanks. Hell no. Quit telling perfectly healthy people to get this, quote, vaccine. All for a hoax Mm -hmm. virus? You're joking, right? Because 99% survival rate of a virus they've never identified, Dr. Fauci and and Andrew Cuomo would be proud. Okay? Dear Lord. Well, I mean, this comports with the... uh the poll that was in the Times this week yes. that 45% of Republicans say they're not going to get vaccinated. That's an alarming number. That's crazy. That is that is what prevents us from being able to get herd immunity too. Like this is, it's no mm-hmm. joke. It's it's a, such a significant number of people who are, who are very hesitant. And I, I don't think that the J&J news pushes that in a good direction. And I'm actually very I agree worried with you about on that. it. I'm not mm-hmm. very worried about the vaccine. I think six people no. out of 7 million 
is not pretty a good risk. numbers. No, that's just. I have. I was on birth control for years. There is a greater risk of me gotten getting getting a blood clot from from being on birth control as a pregnant woman who's getting on a plane next week. I have a much greater chance of getting a blood clot on the plane than that. But um, you know, I'm so glad that they're taking this seriously because. A, it would have been so much worse had they not come out and publicly said it, then they would have gotten accused of covering it up and they would have been covering up. And B, you want them to take all of the things seriously so that you you can have confidence that these things are being taken seriously and that you don't have any risk when you're getting these shots. But I don't know how this how they recover from this. They are sort of in an impossible position. Uh, I think they did the right thing by, by being open about it. But... Um, I got to be honest, I don't know if I would say, hey, friend who is 35 years old, who's asking me, would you have any problem taking any three of the vaccines? Would I say to them all three equally? Or would I say, hey, if you have an option to get Pfizer or Moderna, maybe just go in that route? I probably would say that. And mm-hmm. and uh, maybe that's not completely st- statistically reasonable. But I think that that's going to be how people feel about this going forward, whether or not that's um, mm-hmm. a valid way to think. So what do we think about Ivanka's image making there? It's interesting because she's always been seen as like potentially the reasonable one, the, you know, the bridge from the Trump insanity over to some, you know, quasi-reality or something like reality. Well, very much by her own design, um, even though that was not the case. I... Right. Here's my thought about it. She's a man without a country. She has no place now because she's very clearly trying to join the ranks of the people that that cast her aside for the last five years. She's posting this thing where she's trying to be, you know, back in the good graces of the sane people of this country. But the sane people in this country don't want her. They have no use for her. They see her shit and they see her for who she is. Uh, and the insane people of this country, the people who's, who, who belong to her father, who now believe in everything that her father and Fox News are selling about this vaccine and about this quote unquote hoax of a virus that her father was on television, you know, spewing about for a year and doing nothing to help this country recover from they don't want her either. They don't want this new version of Ivanka who's speaking up finally for mm-hmm. for sanity Too and late. truth. So she's mm-hmm. a man without a country. I was watching this yesterday and I was just, as an Ivanka watcher, it was kind of amazing to see that this is really where she is. And of course, this is going to be how it turned out, but it's it's wild to see in practice. And I also just felt a little scared that, those were the comments rolling in. And so yeah. I just pray to God that people are are given the opportunity to see the light. I don't, I worry because Tucker Carlson is out there saying, you know, this vaccine doesn't work. And right. those the, that, that, that's the way that, that so many people in this country are getting their quote unquote news. It has been suggested that that poll might be skewed by people saying that, mm. saying one thing and then doing another. Mm. Because I would find it hard to believe that that number of people, I can imagine 30%. But, you know, polling, we don't really know. You know, I mean, uh, I know some Republicans and they're all getting vaccinated, right? Yes. 
And they were even Trump Republicans, I know, getting vaccinated. I mean, there's like a, a sense, at least where I am, when now I'm currently standing in upstate New York, which is a weird mix yeah. of the New York City and, you know, the the further up northern, more conservative places. But generally, there's a sense that, you know, everybody should be doing this. Now, even the people that probably wear their mask below their nose and they just don't want to f- deal with it, I think even those people are doing it. But it's only anecdotal. Hard to say. If you listening out there, tell us what your experiences are about. Come on Twitter and tell us uh, what you're seeing out there. Are, are people who are conservative actually not getting vaccinated or or what are you hearing? Because I'm yeah, curious. I'm curious. People, particularly people in other parts of the country, I'm so curious or, or who have family in other parts of the country, um, mm-hmm. what they're thinking, doing, feeling, and... Everyone just be reasonable and logical. Do it for you. Mm. Do it for your family. Do it for your neighbor. Uh, I will tell you, if you haven't gotten your vaccine, Joe, you're about to experience this. You just feel a relief. I am I am getting a manicure this weekend outside still Whoa. because why not? I have the capability yeah. to do that I mean, in Los Angeles. And I will still wear a mask not because I don't think it's safe outside to be with another vaccinated person, but because it just feels respectful to do that. Um, yeah. But I'm, I am I know this sounds so dumb, and I feel like I've mentioned to you, Joe, I don't know, on a podcast or off a podcast about over the last year how much I've missed getting manicures. It's such <laughs> a tiny thing, but yeah. it makes me feel more like myself because I'm someone who generally has a manicure. And... um. I'm just excited to get these little pieces of normalcy back. And I think they will come back in pieces, but this feels like a milestone to me. And next week I'm going to get to see my family for the first time in so so many months. Lee is, I have a 3D ultrasound on Monday. It is the first time that I've had two of them so far. It's the first time that Lee's going to be able to come in with me. And these, these little things add up and we Mm -hmm. won't be back to full normal for a very long time. And I think normal, what we think of as normal could be different forever, but we're getting little bits back and those little bits add up to big things. And I'm so excited. I'm excited to see you. And I'm very excited for everyone to listen to this interview because as we wait for, for normal to get here, it has been so nice to bring fun things to everybody. And there's nothing more fun than an interview with Paris Hilton. Let's connect the old normal into whatever this new normal is going to be. Can be uh, Paris Hilton can be the bridge between the old normal and the new normal. Take us there. Amen. Let's hear. I am Emily Jane Fox from Vanity Fair. I am so excited to be here with our guest for Vanity Fair's Cocktail Hour Live. She needs absolutely no introduction, but I will introduce her anyway. I am here with Paris Hilton, who is an entrepreneur, a DJ, a pop culture icon, a coiner of some of the best phrases, and a true consummate celebrity. Paris, thank you so much for coming by today. Thank you. It's my pleasure. When I think of quarantine, it doesn't totally compute with the life and the person that at least we publicly think of when I think of Paris Hilton. So tell me how you've been doing what you've been doing, and if you're hanging in there, okay. Well, this has been a year like no other um, for everyone around the world, especially with me. I'm so used to traveling. You know, for the past two decades, I've been traveling 
for 250 days out of the year, so I was never really home, and uh, this past year I've been home more than I've ever been in my life since I was a little girl. Um, so it's really just been, you know, obviously a really difficult and scary time around the world, but I try to see the silver lining in things, and the silver lining for me is that I really got this time to reflect on my life and just be with my boyfriend, who's now my fiance, and spend time at home with my family and my pets and have that time just to cook and do art and do normal things. And um, it's just been so refreshing and it's really just completely changed my priorities. It's so nice to hear and I think that everyone can relate to using this period to reflect on what's important to them. And you've had a couple of very big things happen. You got engaged, which is very exciting. Congratulations. Thank you. You had a big birthday. You mentioned cooking in one of the things, and I have to bring up hearing you say that. Right before quarantine, you put up a viral video of you making your famous lasagna, and it just exploded on the internet. I would say it was like a slightly unconventional way to make lasagna. So I want to know if you have been making more lasagna, if you've branched out into other recipes. Has that been something you've been focusing on? Yes, I've been cooking a lot. It's something that I love to do. And my fiance loves my cooking, so he's been very happy to have me at home. That is the audience that matters. That's, that's, that's the audience of one that really counts here. Can you walk me through what a typical day has been like over the last few months? You know, usually I would, you know, it was never a typical day, but now it's, it's been a lot of the same thing, just doing a lot of Zoom calls. I, I'm really enjoying this whole, kind of like Zoom life where I just feel like it's, I've always been someone who loves to optimize my time. And now without having to travel or be in traffic, I can literally do like 20 meetings in a day. So it's really just amazing with technology, what we're able to do now. And I've just, have been working so hard. So every day is a different project, um, doing a lot of my art, doing music. I have my recording studio here at the house. So been recording music for my new album, as well as I built a podcast studio for my new podcast. So I've been doing a lot of that. And um, yeah, just spending time with my fiance and my pets. And um, yeah, so it's just all been about working and love. It's such a nice thing to hear. And I think that everyone can really feel like we're being the most efficient versions of ourselves without having to schlep all over town and get on airplanes and all of that stuff. I feel like I've been keeping up with you slightly on social media and, and the window that you present to your fans. It's really uh, such a nice thing to be able to see. And I want to ask you, to me, and I think to a lot of people, you were sort of the original influencer. Do you see that? A lot of people say that to me, and I guess they're right. <laughs> I've been doing this for a long time before there was social media, before there was even a name for the word influencer. So back then when I was doing all this, people were like, like, what is this? This is crazy. So now to see that it's like turned into this whole new genre and like a new job, it's pretty, it's pretty incredible. I've always prided myself on being an innovator and ahead of my time. So it does make me proud when I hear people say that. It's also so funny to me and, and you must die. And I, I want to hear your reaction when I see all of this nostalgia culture coming mm -hmm. back, all of the trends that you and your friends essentially made the entire aesthetic, every mm -hmm. piece of clothing that you popularized is now the thing for Gen Z. Are you just <laughs> going crazy seeing all the low rises and mini Pradas and Benny Baguettes coming back? I love it. 
It's, it's just so much fun because, you know, back in the day, I didn't have a stylist. I was just putting all these looks together myself. And nobody dressed like me really back then. And now to see just all of these girls just like totally dressing up in the styles and just seeing just like memories flooding back of just everything and then seeing them make memes on their social media accounts where it's like a picture of me and then next to them and they're like decked out in the exact same thing like all in Dior or Von Dutch or my 21st birthday dress. So that's another thing just it just makes me so proud to see that and just it makes me smile. I want to talk about what it was like for you as a young girl. But but before I do, I want to talk about the brand of Paris Hilton. And I wrote this all down because I didn't want to forget anything. And I'm, sh I'm sure that I will still forget something, but there's a lot here. So you have, I believe, 45 branded stores. You have 19 product lines that have made more than $4 billion in revenue, 4 billion with a B, 27 fragrances with more on the, on the way over the course of 15 years. You have a DJ career that, as you said, keeps you on the road for 250 days a year. And reportedly you make a million dollars per gig, which is wild. You have a podcast that just came out called This Is Paris, a documentary that, as I said, uh, premiered last year by the same name. You have a production company, a two-year deal with Warner Brothers for unscripted programming. That is a lot going on. And it is it is a remarkable slate that spans so many different industries. I heard you say in your documentary that you will not rest until you make a billion dollars. Where are you in the progress towards that goal? Thank you. Um, I just, I love being a businesswoman and success is something that really drives me. And when I was filming that documentary, that was always my goal because I just wasn't happy in my personal life and I felt that money would bring that happiness to me, but it really doesn't when you think about it. So that's not my focus anymore or my goal. I'm, I'm sure it will happen, but it's not something that I really care about anymore because I'm more interested and care more about the next phase of my life and getting married and having babies. And I just feel like that's really the true meaning of life. So, um, I just, I don't know, I'm not really focused on material things like I used to. It's more about growing as a person and being an adult and just just starting the next phase of my life. That's my focus and where my priorities are now. It's so interesting because I actually feel like I had a shift in quarantine that made me feel similarly. I was go, go, go. All I really cared about were professional achievements and in quarantine, I got engaged. Uh, I'm now almost seven months pregnant. And I think it's sort of taboo for women to talk about their personal ambition as well. It's it's It went from women only having personal ambition to then if you wanted to be a quote unquote girl boss and that being the only thing you were allowed to talk about in public. And I think it's so important to hear you talk about the fact that like it's also okay to have the personal ambition again I think that that feels like real progress, that you are okay saying, yes, I want to make a billion dollars. And yes, I also care about getting married and having kids. There's there's something important for young women hearing people want both. Yes, I think it is important. It's, it's important to be honest and true. And I'm just so grateful just for doing my documentary because I learned so much about myself. and. 
this was the first time that I was able to open my heart because I was so healed from really speaking about so many traumatic experiences I've went through and learning so much about myself. Like, honestly, before the documentary, I had no idea who I was. I was just so on the go and just constantly traveling, constantly working. Everything was just moving so fast that I never had one second to even think about myself or my life or anything because it was all about, you know, the public and being this character and not even being who I really was. Um, so it's just an amazing feeling now to have this open heart and be ready for that and to have found my perfect twin flame, soulmate, everything. I just I'm, feel like everything in life happens for a reason and timing is everything. And we met together at the perfect time and I'm just so, so happy and excited. <laughs> That's, that's so nice to hear. I'm, I'm really so happy for you. I want to talk about some of these experiences, and if you don't feel comfortable talking about them, we can totally skip over them. But but I, they struck me so much. And as we talk about this empire that you've built, it is, it's sort of undeniable. It spans a number of industries. You've made real money, and it's lasted for a very long time. And yet, I oftentimes feel like in, in how you're talked about, that empire is a footnote or maybe just a slight observation. And I wanna talk through that with you. And I guess that the easiest way for me to think about it is to start at the beginning. And the way that you were covered for years was that you were quote unquote famous for being famous. And that's where it stopped. And in reality, and, and in certainly in hindsight, it's very clear that you have been one of the most persistently relevant people of the last generation. And I, I wonder from you, what do you think people missed about you and why you think you have endured in the, in the public eye for so long and in such a successful way? Yeah, it was really just hard, you know, growing up in the public eye and being a teenager and then all of a sudden just this fame happening. And then, you know, for people, just having the media would just be so mean sometimes and it would just be very hurtful and I felt like people really didn't know who I was and would judge me and there'd be misconceptions and I don't it was really hard to deal with um, especially with the media constantly making up stories and you know no matter what I did they would just always say oh famous for being famous and um, now today that's actually like a whole new job that people are doing <laughs> So uh, that makes me happy, at least, that people can finally understand that concept. Because um, I was just being myself, and um, I had no idea that it would turn into something, but I ended up creating a brand off of it, and I've just been always hardworking. I've always, I think just from what I went through in life, I just had this drive that I never wanted to be controlled by anyone. And um, even though it was, it was very just hard to deal with, you know, just like looking back on it now, just people were so cruel and so mean to me and I just felt just, I don't know, it was like emotional abuse all the time from people. Because I'm blonde and because I come from my last name, people are like, oh, she's just stupid, she's an airhead, she's spoiled, and just, I don't know, just kind of judging me just based on that when they really didn't even know who I was. It was just like this kind of like cartoon character that the media created, which 
you know, basically turned into what everyone would think of me. And then also doing The Simple Life, I think that obviously added on to it because I was playing a character and reality TV was so new that people just assumed because it's called reality TV that it's actually real. And they had no idea that I was in on the joke the entire time and I know exactly what Walmart is and basically everything I was doing was basically what I thought the public would want was that type of character. So. You know, after being spoken about like that and then doing that character, I kind of just got stuck in it for such a long time. It's so interesting to hear you talk about, um, and I've heard you talk about this before, and I've certainly lived through the coverage of it. It feels like a little bit of a vicious cycle where you were playing this character and then people were treating you like this character. And it's it seems like it was a, a feedback loop that was really hard to get out of. And I, I can't help but think of someone like a, a Kylie Jenner or people of her generation and her cohort who just came out and, and played a version of themselves that wasn't totally a character. I don't know what she's like um, in, in person, but it seems like you sort of, you walked as a character so that Kylie Jenner could run as Kylie Jenner. And it just feels like we've maybe evolved past a point where people would feel like they needed to play a ditzy, rich blonde in order to be successful. But tell me what you think. At, at the time when you were coming up, it felt necessary for you to be this blonde Hilton in order for you to gain notoriety. Is that right? It was like almost like this stereotype that every time I would even, you know, be doing something, my agents, everyone I was working with, the producers on The Simple Life, they really wanted me to play up this character. And I've always just been a very naturally shy person so I feel like I kind of used that character as almost like a mask to hide behind because I felt like you know if they're gonna be saying all these mean things about this person it's not really me it's just a character that I'm playing so it kind of really shielded my heart and my mind from it because every time I would read things I would be like that's not me like they're talking about you know the girl that I invented and I think a lot of people you know, in the industry, because I'm friends with a lot of people and influencers and just people who are you know, in the public eye, and so many of them are all playing a character as well, because when we're all together in real life, everyone has a different voice. It's like usually a much lower octave. Uh, <laughs> they're actually very smart. And you know, I think back then also, like during the early 2000s, like it was like cute to be like dumb, like as a girl, and like that's what people would like. Like now I think it's just, it's so much sexier and attractive just to be smart and a brilliant woman. But back then it just, it wasn't how it was at all. So I think that a lot of girls would just play into that because that's what we were taught almost that, you know, that's the cute way to be, but it's really not. because I, I think uh, when you were coming up, it was the end all be all to be famous. And I think that obviously that will always exist, but it sort of is like, you wanna be famous and now, you wanna be famous and have a big brand. You wanna be famous and have a business that you can be proud of. And I think what happened to you was absolutely necessary to get to this point today, but it really feels like a shift has happened and that it's okay to be successful and cool. And that's the thing that young girls should be and are striving for. And that feels like uh, a large part of that is a, a credit to the, the groundwork that you laid there. 
you alluded to this earlier and I want to ask you about it straight on the conversation around the way that you were treated and, and other women who came up when, when you were coming up has been in the focus a lot. There was the Britney Spears documentary, which I know you've watched and that really, uh, focus people's attention and got people looking back at old interview clips with you and with Lindsay Lohan and with Britney Spears. And I just want to hear your reaction to this reframing that we're all kind of doing about the way you guys were covered and treated and spoken to. Uh, just after seeing the Britney documentary, I, my heart was broken, just like just watching all of that. And it just brought up a lot of memories for myself. and. Um, just the way that we were treated was just so wrong. You know, we were just young girls going out like any normal other person, but because we were in the public eye, we were made to be like these villains and like what we were doing was so bad when we really were doing nothing, like just going out like any other person our age would be going out. And then just to every day have to wake up to just the tabloids just inventing these crazy stories because that's what sells. Um, they actually were writing about what really happened. It was much less boring than they would have uh, liked to invent for themselves. So I just think it's such an amazing time right now that people are just really looking back at that and seeing like, it was just all these like really misogynistic views and just, I don't, it's hard to really describe because I went through it for so long that it's just like this weight off my shoulders. Like, yes, now I, I finally don't have to deal with any of that anymore. Anymore, and then I also think maybe that you know I had to go through it so that the other girls today wouldn't have to go through the same thing. And I feel like maybe a lot of things in my life that have happened like that, are so that others won't have to deal with that because it's just it's so much for someone and. You know, being in this industry and, you know, living in this town, it's so hard. And I just, I'm so just grateful that I have an amazing and supportive family because I don't know where I would be without that. And a lot of people, you know, don't have that luxury of having a close supportive family. And um, my heart goes out to them because it, it's a very hard world to be in if you don't. As you talk about your family and as you talk about uh, things changing as a result of things you've experienced, it makes me think of probably the most difficult moments to watch in the documentary and to hear you talk about, and they involved um, the tape that was leaked about you. And I don't want to dwell on it because it's in the past and I'm sure it's not easy to talk about, but I have to bring it up because the way it was talked about at the time was, and, and you say this in your own words, that it was painted as if you did it on purpose, that this was something that you orchestrated and that you were the bad guy in the situation. And the, the facts of the situation could not have been more opposite. And uh, there's a point where your sister, Nikki, talks in the documentary about um, you guys lived in a hotel and her running down the hallway and literally turning over all the newspapers in the hallway so that you didn't have to see the coverage of it on the front page of the New York Post. And I have a sister and I'm very close to my family and just thinking about the toll on you and your family, it's heart-wrenching. And I wonder if you can just talk about the emotional toll on that and then what it must be like to see, unfortunately, other celebrities who have gone through something similar since then and, and how it's been a totally different experience because people have finally started to realize that like 
you are the victims in this and you're not the perpetrators of it. And it's not salacious gossip. It is something that is incredibly invasive and life altering. Yeah, that that will always be something that will hurt me for the rest of my life. Um, it's always there in the back of my mind. And, you know, when it happened, it was just people were so mean about it to me and just the way that I was spoken about just on all the nightly talk shows and all the media and just every day having to see things and with my family was just heartbreaking where I would be in tears every single day. I didn't want to leave my house, didn't want to show my face. I just felt like my life was over. And I always had looked up to just these amazing women like Princess Diana and I just felt like when he did that to me, took that all away from me and the people would never look at me the same. Obviously it was humiliating, that's a private experience between two people and you think that you love someone and you trust them and to have your trust betrayed like that and for the whole world to be watching and laughing and even more hurtful to me for people to think that I did that on purpose. That just killed me. It just made me just, it was, it still gives me like post-traumatic stress disorder, even like talking about it. And um, yeah, just that was the part that was, you know, obviously it, it was humiliating for people to see all of that, but the fact that people would think that I would want that or do that on purpose just really angers me. And then after, I just noticed there was a lot of celebrities purposely doing it, which then it made it look even more like I did too. And it was almost like this blueprint to become famous. Um, and then since then, there's been others which have been leaked by, you know, their exes. And um, that's a different story. But the way that I was made a villain back then because of something that someone did to me and now is just a completely different story. Like if that would have happened today, it would, it would not be, you know, what it was back then. So I'm again, happy that things have changed and that people are realizing that is just the woman in the situation who is the victim should not be treated like that or spoken about like that. I'm sorry that it hadn't changed by the time that you had to go through it and that it happened so publicly and, and uh, that you are still feeling it and it's completely understandable. And it makes me think that it's no wonder now that you are doing things that are making you in control of your own narrative. You are producing your own television. You are involved in a documentary. You have a podcast that comes out and you are the author of your story now in a way that 20 years ago, you, you were not the author. You were the subject of other people's stories that they were creating about you. And I'm, I'm wondering how it feels to be in the driver's seat of the narrative around you for the first time. Oh, empowering. I'm so proud of the woman I am today and all that I've been through and just how strong I am. And now being able to have that power to write my own narrative and my own story and show the truth. Do you think you're going to make a return to reality TV? <laughs> I get calls all the time. People are always offering different shows. They want to bring back the simple life. They want me to do like 
so many different concepts, but I just always say no to everything because business has been something that's been my main focus. Um, but now that I have my new production deal with Warner Brothers and I'll be able to control the show, it'll be mine. So I might think about getting into it again now that I'm going to be the boss and can be controlling it and not someone else. It's definitely better to be in the driver's seat than in the passenger's seat. Yeah. The other, the other thing I wanted to talk to you about was um, you're really dipping your toe into advocacy and it's particularly around what you experienced as a teenager uh, in boarding school. And I wanted to hear a little bit about what led you to finally come out and share your experiences and the work that you've been doing since then? Well, when I first started shooting the documentary, that was never supposed to be part of the story because what I went through there was just so just terrible and traumatic that I made a promise to myself when I left there that I would never talk about it, acknowledge it, or speak of it or think of it ever again. But again, that was always in my memories, always in the back of my mind. I would have nightmares every single night. And when we were shooting the documentary about seven months into it, one night I just was having very severe nightmares. And we were in Korea and um, I was just so emotionally and physically exhausted. And that's when I opened up to the director a little bit about it. and. I didn't really say, but I said, you know, don't use this part of the footage. Like, I don't want this in the movie. I don't want people to know this. And she just kept pushing me and saying, Paris, this is so important. This is like why, who you are, the way you are. There's, this just makes so much sense to me now. I understand you so much more. Like, you should let the world know the truth. And I, I just keep, I just kept saying, no, I don't want anyone to know. And then she started doing all this research and showing me, and then I started doing so much research. And she said, Paris, if you use your voice, you could stop this from happening to other people because it's still happening today. There's you know, hundreds of thousands of children that are going through this all over the world in these types of schools. And they have no voice and nobody believes them. And if someone like you would come up and tell your story, you have no idea how powerful that will be for others who have no voice. And that's when I just made the decision that if I speak about this, maybe my nightmares will go away if I help their nightmares go away. And that's when I just told her everything. And then when the film came out, I was freaking out because I was like, oh my God, people are gonna like know the truth about me. And I was just so ashamed about it. And then I look back and it's like, I shouldn't be ashamed. It's these, the people who work at these places and who run these schools are the ones that should be ashamed. And now it's, this whole movement is happening and there's you know hundreds of thousands of survivors coming forward. I've received so many letters and met up with them. And I went back to Utah to the school and did a huge protest with hundreds of survivors from all around the world. And then that got the attention of the senator from Utah. And then we've been in contact. And I just went to the Senate and testified in front of all of the senators. And we just passed the first law. Um, so basically, every all the abuse and everything that was happening to me as a teenager back then would now be illegal today. And now I'm about to take it to a federal level. So in all 50 states, this can never happen again.
So it just it makes me just, again, so proud because I know that the little girl, me being back there, would be incredibly proud of the woman I am today, standing up for what's right and being a hero and making a change so that other children don't have to experience that. It's amazing what you did and uh, the, the bravery it took. And I think if you were to have told someone 20 years ago that Paris Hilton would be in a state legislator talking to a group of senators, they may not have believed you, but uh, that is just a testament to how far you have come and how far people have come in uh, talking about women and their treatment of women. And it's just amazing. I want to ask you where you, where you are going next. I know that there's the the reality deal that may happen. I know you said you were recording more music. You have a wedding on the horizon. What are you most looking forward to? I'm looking forward to all of that. I love just what I do, and I love being creative, and I love coming out with new content for everyone. I'm having so much fun on my podcast, just speaking with all the guests that are coming on, and just having really amazing conversations. And I'm also just diving into the NFT world and creating amazing art and about to have my first drop in a few weeks. So I'm just super excited about that. And Wait, I'll tell me more about it. Well, I actually did my first NFT in March of 2020 before the whole NFT craze. Again, like me always being an innovator and pioneer. <laughs> <laughs> and it actually won the best NFT charity award. So I was super excited about that. And then now just to see it blowing up in the past couple months has been super exciting. And I have partnered up with Nifty Gateway and uh, Ashley, who is my producer there, um, introduced me to Blake Catherine, who is this brilliant digital artist. And we have been collaborating together to make these just magical fantasies gorgeous, um, futuristic pieces that really come from my heart. And I cannot wait. We're having the drop on April 17th and it's super exciting. I can't wait to see. This is just you dipping your toe into the NFT pond feels like the perfect 2021 moment. <laughs> Thank you to our guest, Paris Hilton, of course, my co-host, Joe Hagan. If you enjoyed this conversation, please be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes of Inside the Hive. You can find these on Apple Podcasts, radio.com, or anywhere you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review while you're there. Thanks to our producer, Brett Fuchs, and the folks at Cadence 13. And of course, thanks to our sponsors. Please be sure to support them any way you support this podcast. We'll see you right here next